Hello. Here we go. What's true for everybody? Experience 18. And this is a book report on the book. I love doing book reports on the book uh, that I recently read called Sacred Pathways, Discover Your Soul's Path to God, written by a dude named Gary Thomas. Uh, I think it came out in 2000, and I am just now reading it. I just read it. I had never read it before. Uh, came recommended, and I really, really enjoyed it. it. It teaches me about myself, which is something that excites me, so I wanted to share it with you. Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas uh, from 2000. Uh, It is Sunday now, and we went to church. It was Baptism Sunday at the church we went to. Baptisms always fire me up, and so I'm ready to go. But then we got some groceries, uh, came home, starting some laundry. It's a good, good day. Uh, We'll jump into this. Sacred Pathways. So if you're like a lot of people, if you grew up uh, around church, around uh, Jesus followers, the typical way that people told you you had to grow as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, was to do your what? Your quiet time. And I'm using air quotes here. Your quiet times or your devotions. And you had to do these every day. Uh, And then you also had to go to church on the weekends. And looking back, did you notice that for some people, this was like gold, this worked for them. Yeah, yeah, I love sitting by myself and praying and reading, being quiet. Uh, yeah, I love the corporate worship on on the weekends. That's how I feel most connected. And for others, this idea of quiet time or devotions, it was really hard for them to get into this habit. And then still for others, and they wondered why. And, and there was probably some like, oh man, I, I might, I just must not be good at this. I must not be a very good Jesus follower. And so for others. Um, Maybe the more traditional quiet times was helpful at the beginning, but then it seemed to get restrictive or uh, they needed more. They needed something else or it became a stale routine rather than a life-giving delight. Do you know what it's like to do that or to do anything because you have to, to check it off? Like, yes, I got that done. Instead of actually being in the moment and doing it because it was a form of worship for you. Now, let's be clear here. Uh, I'm all for prayer. I'm all for reading the Bible. We need to keep those things. Uh, I'm also all for, all for corporate worship. We were made to worship the God of the universe together to get recharged, to go back into the week. So this isn't a knock against those things at all. Those help us most definitely connect with God in wonderful ways. Uh, but this author, Gary Thomas, he likens the kind of more traditional ways we've been taught of quiet times or devotions he says it's like eating the same food every single day. <laughs> and it may be a food that's really healthy for you, but you can quickly get tired of it if that's all there is and if that's not your particular taste. So you find these other great foods that are healthy and that can add to your health, that can add to your tr- tr- uh, nutrition. So what this author, Gary Thomas, did was he came up with uh, these nine different what he called pathways. Uh, different ways that we tend to connect with God, depending on how God created us. Calls them sacred pathways. Obviously, also calls them spiritual temperaments. And he, Gary Thomas asks the question, he says, why should everybody be expected to love God the same way? <laughs> I love that question. I underlined that question. It's a really good question. Uh, he also talks about, by the way, how 
quiet, again, air quotes, quiet times, uh, it can collide with reality for some of us, right? Tell a new parent that they have to devote 20 or 30 minutes a day to being still and praying and reading the Bible. They might punch you in their sleep deprived state, right? No way. The few moments this baby isn't attached to me, (laughs) they're sleeping in their crib. And if they're sleeping, then I'm sleeping. My heart right now, the go-to isn't to go try to be still in prayer because I'll just fall asleep (laughs) or tell this to an accountant in the middle of tax season or a nurse who just worked a 12 hour shift or a dad who has young kids and gets home from work and wants to spend time with them before they go to bed. And then he needs to go to bed shortly after because he's getting up early the next day and he hasn't connected with his wife all day yet. Or tell it to a student who has to get up at 5.30 in the morning to get ready for school and then has practice after school and doesn't get home until like 6 p.m. and then has homework and dinner. Oh, and by the way, then has to get enough rest to wake up and do it all over again at 5.30 the next morning. And again, I'm all for spending time alone with God through prayer, reading the scriptures. We need to do that. Jesus did it. I know I feel more alive and connected when I do it. But that can easily become a way to guilt people rather than to help them experience the living God. It becomes this kind of scorecard checklist. Did you do it today? Did you do it today? I don't think uh, that's what God had in mind. And maybe you've, you've felt this way or somebody else has made you feel this way. So Gary Thomas gives us these pathways uh, or these spiritual temperaments. And he says this, he says, people have different spiritual temperaments. What feeds one doesn't feed all. Giving the same spiritual prescription to every struggling Christian is no less irresponsible than a doctor prescribing penicillin to combat every illness. <laughs> That's good. Then he says, the focus on spiritual temperaments is an attempt to help us understand how we best relate to God so we can develop new ways of drawing near to him. Uh, so why I'm talking about this is I'm, I hope this is, it was helpful for me. I hope it's somewhat helpful for you and is actually freeing for you because it was freeing for me. Uh, we don't have to apologize for being who we are. We don't have to feel guilty for not connecting with God in the same way that the other person that we're talking to connects with God. Our job is to simply learn how God made us and how we naturally feel his presence and then do lots of those things, <laughs> uh, which we want to do anyway, because that's who we are naturally. So, uh, By the way, good teaching in this book reminded me of that. Good teaching will always make you feel more free rather than make you feel beat down. If you walk away from a a book, a sermon, whatever it is, uh, in a classroom and you feel just beat down, that probably wasn't very good teaching. But if you walk away free and excited, even if the teaching is about something like sin or changing your ways or uh, looking inside yourself to see where you need to be transformed. It should always be done in a way that makes you feel more free. And two things here before we jump into these nine pathways. First, uh, we'll be drawn to multiple of these. And it's probably a good idea to engage in all of these at, at, at some point, but one or two or three will most likely describe us more than any other. So for me, I had one that was a runaway, my top one, and then I was tied uh, for two of them were tied for a second and then the other six were somewhat down, down the list. So at the end of these chapters, he asks, I think, six questions at the end of each chapter 
to get your score for, for that spiritual temperament. And you record them and then you see where you're at. Uh, second thing, all of these are good. Um, it's not like, ooh, I wish I was that. No, that's not the point. They're all good. They also all have temptations. They have their own ways you can abuse them, which we've seen. Uh, we're not going to talk about those things. We don't have time for that, but um, they're, all, they're all good. So here we go. A brief description of these nine sacred pathways or spiritual temperaments from Gary Thomas, and I hope that this is helpful for you like it was for me. And it might actually teach you about uh, people that you engage with on a regular basis too. So number one, he calls naturalists. And he calls this loving God outdoors. So naturalists are the people who would prefer to leave the church building, uh, no matter how beautiful this church building is, how comfortable it is. uh, And they want to go pray to God beside a river, right? Forget the books, forget the lectures, forget the sermons. They want to go walk through the woods or the mountains or the fields. They experience God and they seek God by surrounding themselves with the creation God has made. Naturalists. Is this you? Some questions. Do you feel disconnected when you're stuck inside for long periods of time? Uh, Do you find yourself opening windows and doors every chance you get, even when it's way too hot or cold outside? Uh, Do you notice when you're reading the Bible that Jesus teaches by lakes, that the Bible opens with a description of, of water and land and stars and animals, and the first home for humans was actually a garden and Do you notice how much things happen on or near mountains? Do phrases like, he makes me lie down in green pastures, jump out at you, jump off the page. Does seeing a sunset or looking at the stars or going to the beach or a body of water move you more than going to a small group or reading a book or singing a song? Are you listening to this podcast while you're sitting out on your back deck? Naturalist, this is my wife. This is Corey. Uh, it's actually, this is one of them that was tied for second for me, which I think has, has grown in me over time. I don't think I was always like this. Living in Colorado certainly helps though. Uh, but my wife, Corey, she loves the beauty of outside, always has. She would much rather be outside than inside. Uh, the beach is her happy place. Those of you who know her know that. Uh, she can't get enough of the mountains. In the summer, she wants to go to the pool as much, if not more, <laughs> than our kids. Uh, when we lived in Houston, she'd be outside constantly even when it was ungodly hot and humid out and I could barely breathe outside and I could take like five minutes and I'd have to go in, she'd be out there. Uh, This is how she feels most connected to God. And at first I didn't totally understand this because that wasn't always me, but over the years I've grown to appreciate this and how she connects most with God and what the outdoors does for her. Um, And it's fun, fun to watch. And again, this is, this is like tied for a second for me now. So if you're a naturalist, Get outside as much as possible. Number two, this is what he calls sensates, loving God with the senses. So sensates are the people who want to be lost in the awe and the beauty of God. They're drawn to things like liturgy and stained glass windows in the church and formal language and prayers, formal prayers and architecture and incense and communion. Whatever engages their senses is a powerful way for them to worship God. Uh, for, for sensates, like truth is great. Yeah, good, good. But feeling is also important. Uh, we love God with our mind, but we also love God with our heart. They want a sensates want a symbol to express the truth. So some questions here. 
do you engage with scripture as well or more when you hear it as opposed to read it? Do you agree with the person who said the average church interior is uninteresting? <laughs> That's a great line. The average church interior is uninteresting. Do you walk into a church and you, you immediately start noticing how it looks? Uh, it's not bad. That's just how you connect with God. Does keeping your eyes open when you pray help you pray? Does it add to the sincerity of your prayers? Because you can see something. Maybe you can see what it is you're praying about. Maybe you visualize whatever. Uh, when you listen to a sermon, are your notes, do they tend to be drawings rather than words of what you're hearing? Do you feel close to God when, when you're at a museum or a concert? Do you prefer a church building uh, that gives you a sense of awe? Does bad art or music bother the heck out of you? Do you have classical music playing as background when you're working or praying or reading? Do, do you always have some sort of oil blend going in a diffuser, diffuser in your house? Uh, this pathway reminds me a lot of the community of folks of the church that I got to serve at in Houston. Uh, those beautiful people taught me a lot about loving God through the senses. And I don't score very high in this one, but uh, I really do appreciate it more because of my friends at Ecclesia Clear Lake. Shout out to you all. You're fantastic. We had these prayer stations around the room and you could kneel there. There were pillows. You could journal. You could pray. You could engage with different physical things like there were crosses and uh, there was a prayer wall. You could write prayer as like a scroll and put it in, put it in the wall. And uh, we did communion every week, which I absolutely loved. You got to taste the bread and the grape juice every single week or the bread and the wine. Uh, we often did a communal confession together before communion to get our hearts ready for communion and then to confess what we needed to confess. We, we tried to include art in the services. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, sensates, if you're a sensate, be around sights and smells and noises that bring your heart alive. Sensates. Third, uh, Gary Thomas calls these traditionalists, loving God through ritual and symbol. So traditionalists tend to love God through historic dimensions of faith, rituals, symbols, sacraments, sacrifice. Uh, they're serious about things like regular church attendance and tithing and keeping the Sabbath. Uh, they get excited about praying the same prayers that Jesus followers have been praying for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So some questions here for traditionalists. Uh, does the scripture that tells us that Jesus' custom was to go to the synagogue for worship on the Sabbath, does that jump out at you? And you think, well, yeah, if that was Jesus' habit was to go to corporate worship, worship on the Sabbath on a regular basis, then, then I should probably do that too. That's a good idea. Do creeds excite you? Uh, do you tend to have rituals in your worship, personal worship, or do you tend to gravitate Towards, ch towards churches that have, are more ritualistic. Do you like it when churches have you stand to read the scripture together? The church I, we were at today, they actually did that, and it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, do you prefer to follow the church calendar? Does Advent remind you that there is a time to wait? Does Lent lead you into repentance and mourning and realizing your own humanness and sin? Does Easter make you want to celebrate for six weeks? Does Pentecost help you feel empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring heaven to earth? Do you have scheduled prayer times throughout your day? Uh, 
do you fast? Do you deny yourself something, whatever it is, uh, do you deny yourself something in order to appreciate what really truly matters? Do you feel a call to honor the traditions of how the church has functioned in the past? Uh, for this one, I can see some overlap here with traditionalists and sensates. And so this also reminds me of certain friends that uh, I've learned a lot from in, at my church in Houston. Uh, my friend Lacey, she taught me about traditional prayers and how to appreciate those and confessions as a way of worship and honoring the church calendar. My friend John taught me about uh, creating fantastic worship leader, taught me about creating a worship song set that connects with not only the history of the church, but actually follows the gospel message. He's brilliant. Uh, And here again, I'm not typically much of a traditionalist in this sense, but again, I've grown to appreciate these things from what I've learned from other Jesus followers. Uh, If you're a traditionalist, find ways to be connected to ritual and symbol and sacrifice and history. You will feel connected to God. Number four, he calls these ascetics, loving God in solitude and simplicity. So ascetics are the people who they prefer to be left alone in prayer. They don't want the liturgy. They could leave behind the loud worship music. Uh, The beauty of the physical building doesn't excite them. They want silence and they want simplicity. They're typically internal and introspective. Uh, They want to listen to the quiet. That's where they come alive. So questions here, do you live simply? Do you feel closest to God when you're alone and there's nothing to distract you from his presence? Are silence and solitude and discipline natural for you? Do you tend to take personal retreats to get away and to be still for an extended period of time? Is John the Baptist your favorite Bible character? You know, John the Baptist, J the B with his odd but simple outfit and his commitment to to not drinking alcohol or cutting his hair. Do you find yourself praying in the middle of the night? Is obedience really important to you? Putting yourself under the authority of another. Do you consider enduring hardship as a main way to grow in your faith? And I've been trying to think of someone off the top of my head um, who I know this describes and no one is popping into my head at the moment. I no doubt know people who gravitate towards this. So if this is you, let me know because I want to learn more from you. So that's ascetics. That's number four, loving God in solitude and simplicity. Number five, activists, loving God through confrontation. Uh, some Some of your ears just perked up. So activists, they want justice. They get all fired up about reading the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. They want to act that sucker out. Worship for them is standing against things that are evil and that are wrong. That's how they feel most connected to God. For activists, uh, church is a place to go recharge so that they can go back into the world and fight for what's right. Questions here for activists. Do you tend to point out that God is a God of justice? Do you enjoy reading the prophets in the Old Testament? Do you notice things around you that aren't right and then point them out? Are you bored when you're not in the middle of an effort to change something? Do you find yourself writing letters to government officials or telling people they need to vote or constantly educating yourself about current issues? Does your blood boil when you see others being apathetic about things that need to be made right? Like, how could you not care about this or enough about this to do something? Uh, Do you do well with healthy conflict? Conflict isn't bad when, when it's done well. It's, an, it's inevitable. We just got to 
treat it in a healthy way. Are you on the school board? Have you read biographies on Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa? Would you much rather spend an hour confronting sex trafficking or systemic racism than reading a book or taking a walk or listening to a sermon? A couple of people jump out here. One is a friend of mine, April Diaz. April is serious about promoting and supporting and fighting for people who haven't been welcomed or loved very well. That's what she does. Uh, Whether it's racial minorities or women in church leadership or people in the LGBTQ community, uh, she and her husband have adopted uh, children of different races. And and she actually recently started a business to help women leaders. Um, She has a podcast called The Global Fringe, if you're interested in in more, but that's who she is. And then another one is my friend, Alan. (laughs) Alan is a high school teacher. He's fantastic. Um, But Alan wants things to be made right. That's his heart. Uh, he's got a, he's got a certain, a deep morality about him and he just wants things to be made right. I've, I've, he, uh, helped at one point, Alan and his family lived in an area that wasn't the safest. And one night he helped a police officer tackle a would be robber. (laughs) Ran out of his house and tackled the dude. Uh, I've seen Alan. We went to some of us a Bears Lions game in Detroit, Chicago Bears against Detroit Lions, years ago. Um, and there we saw m- multiple fights in the stands. One of them were two just huge guys, and Alan, um, who's no slouch, he, he can he's a he's a powerful dude. Uh, just rushed in and tried to break this fight up between a guy in a Lions jersey and a guy in a bear's jersey. And and one of the dude's nose got broken, I think not from Alan, from the other guy, but Alan just, he just doesn't want that. That's wrong. That's violence. That has to stop. That's who Alan is. Uh, If you're an activist, find ways to fight for justice, find issues that are close to the heart of God and close to your heart that need to be made right and do something about it. Number six, here we go. Moving right along. Caregivers, caregivers, loving God by loving others. Caregivers, uh, they want to serve God by serving others. That's what they do. They see Jesus in the sick, in the hurting, in the poor, in the needy. They are recharged by taking care of people. The Beatitudes are probably uh, pretty meaningful to caregivers. I think it was C.S. Lewis who had the line, give until it hurts. He was talking about financial giving and, and money, um, like give till you notice, give till it makes a dent in your bank account. Uh, but Let's look at it a different way. Caregivers give of themselves until it hurts, until they notice it. They empty themselves in order to fill up others. So questions for caregivers. Do you remind people that it's not enough to love God? We're also called to love our neighbors. Actually, you can't really be fully loving God if you're not loving your neighbors. Are you drawn to the stories in the Bible where Jesus heals people? Do you start, did you start the prison ministry at your church? Do you volunteer to help in your kid's classroom? Have you, on a regular basis, volunteered at a soup kitchen or a pregnancy center? Do you take seriously the biblical command of taking care of the orphan and the widow? Uh, When someone on your street is going through something terrible, are you the first one on their doorstep seeing what you can do to help? Does being around people who are ill or in the hospital make you feel like, like that's your comfort zone? You can do that. Be with them. Are you in the medical profession? Does it bother you that there are people who haven't eaten today or paid their rent this month or have a car that needs to be fixed that hasn't been fixed yet? 
is the word service appealing to you? Are you drawn to that? Do you feel at home when you're counseling a friend who just lost their job or is going through a divorce? When someone asks you what you're doing this weekend because they need help moving, do you jump at the chance or, or do you do what the rest of us do and lie and say you're busy? <laughs> right? Are you like, oh yeah, I'm in. Or like, uh, oh, dang, I think we have something going on. I'll check, but I, I'm going to say no. Um, caregivers are like, I'm in. Uh, this is my mom. My mom's a caregiver. My mom has been a nurse my entire life. She's been in the ER and the pain treatment center. She's done private duties where she goes and spends the overnight hours with patients in their homes. Uh, she's constantly serving at church in different ways. Uh, she still takes care of me, <laughs> by the way. She's always asking me how she can help. That's just who she is. Uh, and for her, it's not like, for other people, it's like, man, that's above and beyond. For her, it's like, no, it's just natural. That's, that's what she does. That's how she connects with God in a major way. Uh, I also think here of my neighbor, Ozzy. Ozzy, and I think of him as a caregiver, as a host. He and his wife, Christina, wonderful people, wonderful family, always having the neighborhood over to hang out at their place and their driveway and their garage and their house. Uh, he loves to cook and grill for us. Uh, actually, both them, Ozzy and Christina, um, you walk up their driveway and before you can get to like the door of the garage, Ozzy's asking you, what do you need? What can I get you? Uh, loves having kids over, the neighborhood kids. And, you know, you can't fake that. Some of you freak out when you have more than two people in your house who aren't your family. You're like, uh, uh what do I do? <laughs> Too many people. Um, Ozzy and Christina, they want that and they want to take care of those people that are over. So if you're a caregiver, find ways to take care of others. Here we go. Number seven, enthusiasts, loving God with mystery and celebration. Enthusiasts want uh, to worship with excitement and mystery. Joyful celebration inspires them. They're the ones who clap their hands and shout amen in church. And you're like, dude, all the preacher said was good morning. <laughs> Calm down. Uh, they want the lively celebratory songs uh, with good, meaningful lyrics, of course, not, not crap lyrics. We don't want that. They, they believe in God's power to bring something good out of any garbage dump of a situation. Some questions here. Do you tend to see the bright side of things? Do people wonder how you have so much faith? Are you okay with mystery? While someone else might think that prayer doesn't quote unquote work because they didn't get what they asked God for, do you remind them that we don't know all that God is up to in this world and in that particular prayer? While others argue about how Jesus, how could Jesus possibly be fully God and fully human? Have you ever heard that argument? Uh, do you encourage them to just let it be? <laughs> just believe he is. It's not our job to come up with explanations when an explanation isn't actually needed. Mystery. Do you write down your dreams because you're convinced there's some meaning in them? Do you love to worship and live life with others because the way of Jesus was never meant to be lived alone? Are you expectant that God is about to move? He's going to do something. You know it. You just don't know what yet. Do you tend to notice all the celebration that happens in the Bible? Like the year of Jubilee fires you up. Whatever you do, do you try to make it the best it can possibly be for the glory of God? Does it boggle your mind how some people come to church and act more like it's a funeral than a worship service? Do you love to dance as a way of praising God? Do you tend to listen to, to music about God more than reading books about God? Uh, this reminds me a couple things. One, 
This, by the way, this is the other one that was tied for a second with naturalists. Uh, enthusiasts was also tied for a second for me. Uh, some friends, John and Judy, who were at the church that I was previously at, they're both, they were both longtime pastors, uh, fantastic people, fantastic pastors. They love to be excited. When I'd be up preaching uh, and they'd be, I knew exactly where they sat, they'd be to my left. Uh, and I'd always hear like, yes, and amen, and uh-huh, and I'd love it. I'd be like, yeah, keep doing that. Uh, so fun. This, this, and that's who they are. That's who they are. Other people would be like, there's no way I'd ever speak up in church because they're scared or don't want to be, it would embarrass them or that's just not who they are. But this is just natural for John and Judy. It's awesome. Uh, and then I was at a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is where Corey and I met called Mars Hill. And we had at the church different values. We called them directions. And one of them was celebration. And so this is, I think, where I started to learn that it's okay and it's good and it's right to be joyful and, and to celebrate. That's what Christians, that's what Jesus followers should do. This is where I picked up that the insight that the first command Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, the first command he gives is to be joyful, to rejoice, rejoice and be glad. Blessed are you when you're this, blessed are you when you're this, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness, uh, but you are to rejoice and be glad. If you're an enthusiast, find things to celebrate. Celebrating is fun. (laughs) Number eight, contemplatives. Loving God through adoration. Uh, Here we go. Contemplatives love the images of God and Jesus uh, as things like the loving father or the bridegroom or the king of kings. Uh, They aren't necessarily or naturally drawn to the focus of serving God or doing his will, doing great things for him or even obeying him. Uh, And this is what Gary Thomas says. They want to seek to love God with the purest, deepest, and brightest love imaginable. Some questions for, for this one. Do you love the story of Mary and, of Martha and Mary in the Gospels? Where Martha is sitting at Jesus' feet and Mary gets all upset because she's doing all the work and wants Jesus to tell Mary to get busy, like, hey, tell her to get going. But Jesus actually commends Mary. Uh, no, sorry, actually commends Martha for simply being with Jesus. Are you, oh, I, I, I think I got that backwards. Um, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's doing all the work. Isn't that how it goes? I don't know. I got to refresh myself on that. Anyway, the one who's at Jesus' feet, just simply being with him. I believe it's Mary. Uh, is, that, is that you? Do you use phrases like, I'm holding hands with God or I'm resting in God? Do you look to remove whatever is blocking your desire for God so you can experience him more? Do you tend to say the Lord's prayer multiple times a day? Have you ever done a wonderful act of service for someone in secret? Like you never let the person know it was you who helped them because they don't need to know. You did it because you felt present with God. Do you engage in things like centering prayer or meditative prayer? Are you the one who recommends or actually helps set up the stations of the cross during your church's Good Friday service? Would you rather sit alone with God contemplating his love and goodness than participate in a service project or a group Bible study. When you think of God, are the first words that come to your mind love and friendship and adoration? Uh, Someone who this reminds me of is actually my spiritual director. Um, I had a spiritual director 
I don't know, 10 years ago in Michigan. And we moved and had, had only talked to him a few times over the last, I don't know, six, seven years. Um, and then within the last six months or so, we've re- reconnected and, and talked more. And um, he'll always start our sessions by just like, you know, the little pause that it only takes a few seconds, but so few of us do it. Uh, I believe he also spends two hours each morning praying. That's who he is. Uh, and it's really, really inspiring to me. So comp- contemplatives, well done. If you are a contemplative, take the time and the solitude you need to be present with God. And also let me know who you are. Cause I want to learn from you as well. Number nine, last one, intellectuals, loving God with the mind. Uh, intellectuals, they need their minds to be stirred before their hearts can come truly alive. Uh, you'll find these people studying topics like infant versus believer of baptism or Calvinism versus Arminianism, if you even know what that is, or uh, women in pastoral leadership. Uh, seminary classes sound exciting to these people. For intellectuals, faith is something to be understood as much as it is something to be experienced. Some questions with this one. Do you feel closest to God when you learn something new about him? Do you want to know more about church history? Do you find yourself looking at commentaries at the bookstore? Do you even enter bookstores anymore? Does the phrase systematic theology get your motor running? Have you ever taken a class on Christian ethics? Do you know what the word apologetics means? (laughs) I think I'm funny sometimes. Is it important to you that you know exactly what you believe and why you believe it? Is it frustrating to you when your church focuses, in your opinion, too much on feelings and spiritual experience, and you're, you're like, just give us the truth here? Uh, does time fly by when you're reading or studying the Bible or a book that is teaching you about God or the Bible? Are you a teacher? Uh, are you super passionate about other people learning? Do you spend more money on books than you do on music? Do you lead your Bible study or your small group? And it's actually not work for you. It's, it's just fun. It's what you do. Uh, and this one is me by a long shot. I, this, is, this is my runaway number one temperament, according to this book. Uh, I can't get enough studying or reading or teaching. Uh, this is why not only did I start a podcast just talking about the Bible, it's also why I do book reports <laughs> on my podcast. <laughs> Nerd alert. Uh, I want people to get as excited about learning as I do. That's, that's what I learned. I'm like, man, I think other people need to know this. Uh, this is my dad. Uh, this is a bunch of great teachers I've had throughout my schooling, whether high school or college or seminary or whatever. Uh, this is people I've gone to before I've preached certain sermons to make sure I was on the right path theologically. Uh, the good, good Dr. Josh Ellis being one of these people. Uh, I appreciate intellectuals who are more intellectual than I am. <laughs> Uh, it is fun to talk to people who are smarter than you. Um, if you're an intellectual, go learn stuff. You'll feel super close to God. It's awesome. Uh, and one of the things, so there it is. Those are the nine sacred pathways. Uh, so many thanks to Gary Thomas for this this book. And I now, one of the reasons I, I'm glad I read it is because I, I appreciate these things more. I think about these things more. And uh, it's also a good reminder that to be grateful that God made us all differently. If everyone was an intellectual like me, this would be a boring, boring place. (laughs) And I'm always learning 
from the rest of you. So if you have any thoughts on this about what you might be um, according to these nine temperaments, nine pathways, let me know. It'll be a good discussion. And I hope, again, this brings some insight and freedom to how you naturally connect with God, not to box you in. Oh, like I'm this, so I can't be this. That's not the point. Uh, The point is I want our mindset to go from, oh, I need to, or I have to do these things to connect with God because other people told me to, to, oh, I get to do these things that I naturally do anyway to connect with God because that's how God wired me. Uh, The need to, the have to, the shoulds, they're not helpful. I don't know if you've ever heard Brennan Manning's quote, don't should yourself. (laughs) Great. I love it. Um, Or don't should on yourself. (laughs) I don't know which one it is. Anyway, uh, I hope that you find the freedom God has given you to love him. And if you're interested, pick up the book. Gary Thomas, Sacred Pathways. Um, It would still be, I, I know I've just talked a lot about it, but it would still be interesting and there's there's deeper stuff to go into with all of this which he does so uh thank you for listening to experience number 18 of our book report on sacred pathways we'll talk to you soon grace and peace